Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Writer. Each weekday, we bring you a short lesson that helps you live out the four practices of a great writer, creativity, consistency, courage, and connection. Here on The Weekend Edition, we take a deeper dive into those topics through conversations with writers and teaching that helps us apply what we're learning. For more, you can visit us at dailywriterlife.com. I am thrilled to bring you this conversation with my good friend, Alex Barker. Alex is an entrepreneur and an all-around brilliant guy. He's the founder of The Happy Farm D, which is a company that helps pharmacists find work that is fulfilling and inspiring. Alex is also the author of the book, Indispensable, The Prescription for Fulfilling Pharmacy Career, which I have to say is a really, really brilliant book title. Now, I've known Alex for a number of years since we've been involved in several of the same groups and online entrepreneur communities the past number of years, and I've asked him to come on the show to talk about the importance of thinking like a business owner. He's not only a great thinker, but also a humble and generous leader, as well as a fantastic coach. Alex shares about his experience as a business owner, the benefits of owning your own business, why it's hard for creative types to think like entrepreneurs, and much more. This is an important episode, especially if you want to own your own business as a writer. I'm a full-time ghostwriter, and if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that if you're not doing freelance work or work for hire already, you probably have considered it. So if so, this episode is going to teach you a lot about business leadership as well as running your own business. So get ready to take some notes from my conversation with the amazing Alex Barker. Alex, thanks so much for making time to be on the Daily Writer podcast. We have known each other for a number of years, and I think this is actually the first time you've been on my show. So thanks for making time to do this. I appreciate you valuing our friendship enough to have me on. (laughs) I feel like we've escalated our friendship to the next level. Thank you. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, it's funny whenever I, and people sometimes ask me, how do you decide who to have as a guest on your podcast? And you've had podcasts before, so you've you've been through this process many times. But really, it's it's two ways. Sometimes I have a topic that I want to feature and I look for a person who's aligned with that specific topic. But honestly, the majority of the time, I just think of people that I want to talk to and I know who know a lot of stuff. And then I try to figure out how does their area of expertise align with this topic of writing? You're definitely in that category because um, you know a lot of stuff. You're a cool guy. You're very you're a very experienced business owner. So again, thanks for doing this. You bring a lot to the table. I'm glad to fit the criteria. It, and I think <laughs> like you, you you just enjoy talking, you know, with others and learning as you as you talk. And hey, people are listening, and hopefully they gain some insight as well in their own journey. I think so, and. You know, there, there are some podcasts that are very, very niche focused and they're only on these very, very specific topics related to that, that show topic, which is totally fine. I guess I kind of take the view that if I'm interested in something, then it by definition fits within this podcast. Uh, plus, <laughs> when it's your own podcast, you're like, hey, I can make the rules. So mm. <laughs> I'm not having to play by anybody else's rules. So we're here to talk about the topic, thinking like a business owner and you have owned multiple businesses and have been doing this quite a while. I would love to start out by having you share your a bit of your story as a business owner, like how you got into business and what kind of things you're doing now as a business owner. How did I get into it? Well, I think my first ever touch of business was being told during college, don't go into business. 
<laughs> That's really encouraging. Don't. Yeah, it kind of felt the same way about how I felt about becoming a comedian, which is what I wanted to do a long time ago. Uh, but my mom was like, you're really good at math and science. Like, you're not going to make a whole lot of money doing it. It's not a safe career. You, should, you shouldn't go that way. So listen to her went into pharmacy school. You know, that's typically what most failed ph- comedians go into is pharmacy school. <laughs> I, I've never um, made that connection before. <laughs> fun fact that you learned today. We, yeah, I think we tend to listen to others for wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom is based in fear, right? Um, that's so true. In pharmacy school, I learned that going into business is scary and it's bad and you're not going to do very well. So I just thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. And it was oddly enough podcast that got me into business because I had an hour commute um, during my residency and I needed to listen to something besides the radio. So I listened to personal finance podcasts and that got me into leadership and then into business. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can create something and get paid for it over and over again like that sounds amazing how do (laughs) i do that so i think the first thing i ever did you know to make money besides you know like garage sales and typical things kids do um was i i sold star trek stickers on etsy and i'm not like a trekkie fan or anything but are do you you know star trek you yes yeah very well so you'd know the phrase space the final frontier right absolutely so i made a sticker that said the final frontier and you put it on your space bar on your computer oh (laughs) keyboard that is awesome (laughs) yeah it it sold um and then i realized production costs like were just way too high and so from there i did anything and everything i made affiliate websites i made a podcast i made i did coaching consulting uh, I created a media company, got into a franchise, and some of these things made me some money on the side while working full time. But a lot of them were me pushing my creativity because my job didn't fulfill that desire within mm. me. And so it was a lot of like trying stuff. And I think that's when I first met you was like 2013, 2014, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because of podcasting. I was into podcasting at the time. Yep. And I tried a lot of things, learned a lot along the way, but ultimately I never really gained momentum. Like I never really, beyond eight to 12 months, continued any one of my projects. And I remember telling a really good friend of mine at the time, uh, who now has a a publishing company, he said, you know, Alex, you, you're not really giving everything to the, the one thing that you want to do. And that was kind of like a shameful moment for me. I remember being ashamed of my lack of progress from 2012 to 2017, the beginning of 2017. And I felt like the last five years, I had been pushing myself, waking up 5 a.m., working on Saturdays, um, negotiating with my wife to have time in the evenings to hustle, mm. to build this thing. And I had very little to show for it. I had learned a lot, a lot of skills. 
helped a lot of people along the way, but not a real business. I wasn't really thinking like a business owner. So I would say 2017 was the beginning of that shift for me in my mindset. I said, I'm going to try to replicate my income. And if I can't do that in 18 months, then I'm going to give up. I'm just Hmm. not going to do this anymore. I'm going to find something else or I'm going to get a new job or I'm just going to do something entirely different. But I'm going to give one thing, all of my effort and energy. And if it doesn't work, then I know that I tried my best. And by October of 2017, I replicated my expenses. And so I told my wife and I agreed that we're going to pretend as if my day job income doesn't exist and just live off of the business and see how we do. Hmm. And did that for about six months. And that was the Happy Farm D. That is um, one of the businesses that I own. It's a career coaching company specifically for pharmacists. So super niche. You know, we're industry experts. And I wrote a book during that time as well. And um, in 2018, I left my full-time job and I've been doing that ever since. Lots of mindset shifts in between then and now. But that one shift of giving it my everything instead of just like saying, oh, this next idea is my thing, you know, and it's going to help me get to financial independence um, would peter out. I'd lose momentum. I'd lose creative drive. And by making that really powerful commitment to myself and to my friend was the first major shift to move into entrepreneurship. So if you see me looking down, it's because I'm writing several notes here. There's a whole bunch of really (laughs) great things that you mentioned. One thing that I'd love to dig into is, okay, this period between, I think you said 2012 and 2017, you tried a bunch of different things. How did, Mm. how did, how did that, that experimentation phase lead into you creating the happy farm D because that's a, that's a very specific thing that you landed on that you felt could make money. You're going to try this for a while, et cetera. But how how did that specific thing that has made you money materialize out of that experimentation phase? And here's why I'm asking this is because I think this is where a lot of people really get hung up. And it's certainly where I spun out for a number of years before I landed on ghostwriting is kind of my thing. So we Mm. kind of have a similar story in, in many ways where both of us have done a lot of different things, but then we landed on kind of this main thing that really provides a good stable income. So in your experience, how did all that experimentation, what came out of that that made you go, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to really, really focus on as opposed to 15 other different things? I'm reminded of a concept that we teach in our, in our company. Um, it's called ikigai. It's a Japanese word. It literally means a reason for being. It's a mixture of four things what you're great at, what you're passionate about, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. Mm. That's and good. with for pharmacists, for example, the common problem that they have is you can be paid to do it, and the world needs pharmacists, but very few people find themselves excelling as a pharmacist, and very few people feel passionate about what, what they do. 
Um, and what we tend to do in our company is we help them find what are you great at and what are you curious or passionate about? And how could we find that career path for you? In the case of entrepreneurship, um, I would say my passion was creativity. I didn't know it, but I was constantly creating all the time, constantly thinking about the future and wondering what could I create and what could I solve a problem and how could I make a living doing that? Hmm. I didn't really have the answer to it, mainly because many of the problems that I focused on were influenced by <laughs> influencers. You know, I listen to podcasts, I'd read books, and they definitely help open my mind. But I often took their ideas and applied it to industries that I didn't really understand. Um, for example, for a long time, you know, I branded myself as a coach. I learned how to coach. I, uh, I was mentored. I took training programs and I was validated by other people. You have the ability to coach. You should learn how to do this. So I did that and I enjoyed it and I got clients success, but I never really got momentum. And it, in mm. my mind, it was really because I wasn't clear about who am I helping. Okay. Right? Going back to Ikigai, where's the greatest problems in the world? Where are the, what does the world need? And so near the end of 2016, I started to notice a trend in my coaching that more pharmacists were like reaching out to me and asking me questions about like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how can I do it? <laughs> um, I didn't really want to teach people how to coach because, you know, I'd never coached full time and I just didn't feel like that was interesting. But I did find a lot of pharmacists saying things like, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I don't like my job. I want to get out. I want to do something different. And, you know, I kind of rolled the dice to think this is, I think, a big enough problem where the pool of people is big enough to support a business, but it's small enough to be niche enough to be a specialist. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I think you probably found this out too with your freelancing that if you're a generalist, that's great. You know, there's a place for that. But then people don't really know how to refer you. They don't know how to talk about you. They don't understand what you're really yes. good at. Yes, yes. And if you're Preach. mediocre, <laughs> right, right. I, you know, when when I have a business client, for example, you know, I I tell them like no one no one refers people to Walmart. You know, people aren't like Walmart strawberries. They're the best, <laughs> or their clothing line, like. <laughs> It's list of things on. that have never been said. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe someone would surprise you. Where'd you get this chicken? Oh, we just pick it up Walmart. Oh, okay. No, it's people fine, don't. You know. Yeah, it's fine. It's mediocre. What they have going for them is scale, right? Yes. Yeah. And if you're starting out, you will never have that opportunity. You'll not. Exactly. You won't have the billions of dollars that they have. So, you know, when I, I know, like, there's some backlash against the the recommendation to, to niche down, but it's, it, 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 that is like the whole reason why so much of the things I've done in the past never worked out. It was too broad. It was too general. Yeah. It never really appealed to one very specific person. 
There's a lot of other reasons why <laughs> I didn't make progress, but that was one of the main ones. Did you find that true for you as well? Oh my gosh, yeah. You tried? Yeah, in fact, this is this is such a fascinating conversation because I think there is a lot of value in niching down. You can't really start out that way because you don't know enough to know what the niches are or how you can serve those specific different niches. For me with ghostwriting, honestly, this has been a very, very recent development like in the past couple of weeks where mm. I don't remember who I was talking with, but oh, it was, a, it was a good friend of mine. And they, you know, sometimes you'll talk to somebody and they frame an issue or a topic in such a way that makes you go, aha, then you have a real light bulb moment. And they said, yeah. they made the observation that what you do as a ghostwriter is, is a luxury good. And they said, because the people who typically hire ghostwriters are, you know, they have to be people with resources. Like there's a, and, you know, you and I are both part of faith communities. So I'm not trying to diss anybody in the church world or ministry world because that's where I come from. So I guess if I wanted to, I could sort of have the right to diss, to diss it a little bit, <laughs> but I'm doing it out of love and honesty. Sure. One of the things I always say on this podcast is I will be honest with people. Like I just want to tell the truth. But the truth is that there's a reason that I don't target typically ministry organizations and churches for ghostwriting services. And that's because those are not, those typically are not places that val that would value what I would bring to the table enough to, to pay me for it. Like I would, like I would charge a business person or consultant. That's mm -hmm. just, it's not the right market for what I do. It's not good or bad. It's just not the right market. So what I do is I target, and I hate the word target because it just sounds so cold and impersonal, but I can't think of a better word, but you know, my ideal client is somebody who has money, who has resources, who wants to pay me to do work that either they don't have the time or the interest in doing. So yeah. they said, what you do is kind of a luxury good, like your, your clients in the same way. And some of the same ways are people that like Rolex and Mercedes might target. And you need to think of yourself as a luxury brand because what you do is, is an expensive service. Mm. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I'd never thought about my niche in that way. But there is some truth to that. So there is a lot of value in thinking about what you do as, as a niche where you're serving this particular type of person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you, if you just add the word luxury premium to your idea, yeah. you, you save yourself a lot of trouble. Oh my gosh. It's, there's <laughs> so much clarity that comes from that. And it's not, yeah. again, it's not good or bad, whoever your, your target market is, but it's like, oh, if, I, if that's what I want to be, and I want to, to be that kind of a ghostwriting agency, then, mm -hmm. then I have to position myself in a different way. I have to really think about, is the way that I'm presenting myself on social media and, and in my marketing, does that align with what that group would expect or desire? Yeah. So with clarity, that's really, really valuable, having clarity about who you are and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. When you have those light bulb moments, it's, it's like it makes everything else fit into place. If, yeah. But it only comes through thinking and creating the time for that. Yes. Um, that was one of my other major shifts that I had to do because, you know, as a pharmacist, I was trained you have to do a job and that job should take 40 hours, 50 hours a week, and you should be working. And if you're not working on something, especially if you're not creating in my case, then you should feel guilty or shameful. Hmm. Um, 
it's only in the last maybe 18 months that I've been able to create the time and the space to allow for creativity and thinking. And I remember a friend told me, you know, the reason why CEOs are, are seen as bad people is because their thinking goes beyond eight, eight to 5 PM. Yeah. They're, they're thinking about the business on the weekends and at nighttime. And the reason why they're on vacation right now is because guess what? It's related to the business. Exactly. Um, and they get, you know, I understand the public's viewpoint because the public has a different view of time. They think for every hour you do something is equated to a dollar amount. Exactly. You've got to get out of that mindset. Right. That's based on factory work from the early 1900s, you yeah. know, and we've evolved past that now. And especially with business, time does not equate to money. So, you know, now... For me, I, I've had to shift away from that. I remember feeling shame about that. Shame about Fridays I don't work. Like today's a Friday. For me, it does this does not feel like work. Me neither. I'm like, I get I'm to having do this fun. as part of my job. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, but in the beginning, it was it was hard for me to, I guess, accept that without guilt or shame. Um, because it it made me feel like I'm not giving this my everything. I could be working today. I, I could be building that new marketing strategy, or I could be building this new class. But the truth is, is that if I'm constantly doing that all the time, I will eventually be depleted. And I have been, yep. I have been in the past. I took a sabbatical for that very reason. But it's in these big shifts that you get, you get to really reap some rewards like now we're in a place where I'm working 20 to 30 hours a week and it's, it's perfect. Spending time with the kids, hanging out with my wife when I want to, like, it's just, oh, it's heaven. <laughs> it took a lot of work to get there. Oh yeah. Too, too many years. Um, but you know, when I hear people saying like they want to retire, like I can't imagine not working. Because I yeah, love, yeah, what I do. I don't understand this this culture of, you know, make so much money that you retire at thirty five or you retire at forty. I'm like, yeah, but if if you're gonna live like forty more years, do do you really just want to sit on the beach? I mean, <laughs> what kind of an existence is that where your your whole life is just leisure? Like that just seems like a total lack of purpose, and honestly, it feels very selfish to me. Yeah, it it feels devoid yeah. um, for fun, really. Um, a new discovery I recently learned about myself is that uh, fun, fun is a core value for me. If I'm not having fun, hmm. then I get miserable. Um, sounds a little selfish to, to admit that, but um, it's true. Uh, with my work, if something isn't fun to me, then I end up either hiring someone or delegating. Because I, it sucks the energy out of me. I don't do a good job at it. Um, I get behind on my goals. There's a ton of reasons why fun needs to be a part of my day to day. Um, that may be not true for everybody, but you know it. There's a lot of power in understanding 
what you're good at, what makes you you, and incorporating it into your work. It's part mm-hmm. of the beauty of of setting the rules and business and creating a wonderful team that loves what they do. Um, it's a very rare opportunity that that you get to have. I'd love to dig into two specific things here. The first is there's so many directions this could go. That's why I said <laughs> this might have been before I hit record that uh, you know when I, whenever I talk to you, Alex, it, it could go a bunch of different directions. Uh, we'll try which to stay I really, on topic. Really love. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm really fascinated by how do you pronounce this Japanese term that you mentioned? Ikigai. Ikigai. Okay, I wrote down like a phonetic thing, but I'm like I didn't write that down correctly. Okay, ikigai. <laughs> So it really consists of four elements that you mentioned, yeah. skill, passion, what the world needs and what the world's willing to pay for. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. that. Do you think that is a, a great filter or template that people can use to decide what kind of business they should be building? So this podcast is for writers. Um, mm. I think most people listening to this, if not all want to make money with their writing, even if it's just they're, they're only writing their own stuff. Maybe they don't necessarily do client work, but I think most people listening to this show, are interested or maybe they're already doing some type of client work. This to me is a brilliant filter for making that decision. And as I look at this, my ghostwriting business fits all this criteria, which I think it has worked for me because it's something I'm good at. It's something I'm interested in and curious about. It's something the world needs and it's something that people are willing to pay for. And it seems to me like a like if, if your side hustle or your business is not working, one of these, one or more of these things is probably off. Do you think, do you feel like that's an accurate way to, to put that? You could look at it that way. It may be a poor filter though for evaluating current endeavors because there may be another, a ton of other factors that could be okay. influencing why something's not taking off. And truthfully, you know, I think a lot of people like to say things like, I'm a really good communicator. We've learned that by interviewing, you know, hundreds of people. I'm really good at communication. But if you were to ask their manager that, they would say no they're not. <laughs> true. That may be true of writing. You know, I I I would claim I'm a decent writer, but if you were to get a professional on board, they'd be like you're trash. You need to <laughs> <laughs> And and that could be true for people that want to do writing. Um I I you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think the best filter for whether or not this is actually going to work is momentum. Mm, um, that's good. If if you're not seeing momentum happen, then you know you may want to question whether or not this is worth doing. And so, by momentum, I mean you're putting forth diligent, consistent action towards it, and you're either being rewarded with some external you know, factor. So if you're writing, you know, online novellas, then it's viewership reviews, comments. Yes. If it is ghostwriting, then it's referrals and, you know, new client bids. It's yeah. not necessarily income because that's, that is, you know, outside of your control. Um, but the more conversations you have with people, the more people are obviously interested in whatever service you're providing. Um, yeah, yeah. There's so many factors. You know, for me, sometimes it was 
knowing that I wasn't consistent was a huge red flag for me because I tried a lot of stuff and I would eventually peter out, you know, around 45 to 90 days. Hmm. I would, I would lose steam on it. And then I would bring like a second wave of energy. And then that second 90 day sprint would peter me out. And I would think, or I'd, I'd listen to a podcast more likely, and I, oh wow, that that's such a sexy idea. Uh, yes. I should do that. <laughs> and 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 here's what how that'll look like. And I'll draw up a business plan. And 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 oh, I bought this website already. Um, and then I do it for ninety days, and the cycle would repeat itself. Um, it's why I think committing yourself to one thing for a long period of time is a really powerful move. Yeah. Because it, you know, I think so many people live with a glass ceiling above them that says they can't have a certain amount of success. They self-sabotage themselves, right? Tiger Woods. Man, that is so true. Right? Think of Tiger Woods. He's like the perfect example. Top of his game, world championship, is dating or is married to an extremely attractive woman, sleeps with a stripper, right? Like, success, he, he... at some point he sabotaged himself from having more and we all do that. And I think for me, it was not committing and going full out because if you go full out into whatever endeavor it is, whether it's writing or starting something else, even if you think it's a failure, you can be satisfied by the fact that you gave it your everything you did absolutely all that you had to do it and and if it failed then you like you can rest peacefully knowing i tried and it didn't work and that's okay it's better to do that than try with a half you know what approach i don't know how pg rated (laughs) this podcast is typically pg but it's all good good. if, if you don't give it your everything then you didn't try and so you'll be constantly wondering, oh, well, I could have done this and I could have done that. And this person screwed me over. So it never really worked out. And you ultimately just leave yourself with more regrets by not giving it everything. It's, there's a lot of comfort in, in thinking, well, this, this could be the way that I could go, but I'm not actually going to try and do it hmm. because then we, na- we never actually know. Yeah. We think that we could do it, but until we try and we either fail or succeed, we just don't know, but it's so much less risky to just stay where we are and not actually make the effort, you know, or we give it a half hearted effort and go, well, I tried and it just didn't work. And so we give up. I see so many people do that and I've done it myself about a million times. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to be, it, it's scary when you do something and you have a little bit of success with it because mm. now it's like, oh, I have actually, like something positive has happened as a result of my action. Now I'm responsible to do something with that. So what's cool about that though, is once you make that decision, you, you can't go back on it. And just yeah. even reflecting on when you and I first met, like for me, and I think you had the same dream you know, we wanted to do entrepreneurship full time. 
Like yeah. this stuff is so much fun. It's creative. It's engaging. It's satisfying. Why wouldn't I want to fill my entire life with this kind of thing? And I remember feeling that even though this was still the dream, it would, it would likely never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it did, like, I'm going to be 40, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And for me, I, when I started, I was like 24, 25. And now I, I don't know of any other way to live. So once you make the commitment, you know, your life changes and it requires you to make some pretty cool decisions that I think you'll enjoy, like not having to check email anymore or things like that. <laughs> I have not gotten to that point and man, I, I got to figure out how to do that because it just, I feel like I spend half my life in my inbox. You got to get out of there, buddy. <laughs> I know. I don't know how to do it. I'm like, you know, people send you personal messages. I mean, they've got all these personal emails from friends or, you know, clients or whatever. I don't know how mm. to not do that other than I guess you just train an assistant to deal with you some need of this. You to hire things. a team. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You got to hire a team. I have an assistant a few hours a week. Um, she's amazing. So I've just kind of dipped my toe in, in those waters and I need to keep going in that direction for sure. So you've set a great example for that, definitely. Yeah, once you give up control, you can create some freedom which is counterintuitive. But when you delegate powerfully to people and empower them to do a job and they enjoy that job, that was another mindset shift for me because I remember thinking, who in the world am I going to get to flip and take care of this website? I hate Mm. it. No one else is going to like it. But the truth is, is people love an entirely different work than you. That is um, so true. So, so true. And once you, uh, you know, maintain profitability, you should use that money to improve your own life, your own work and the output of your company. And that's exactly what we did. We've hired a COO, we've hired an operations manager, an entire team for the website, marketing, you know, and all of these people help elevate the business. Yes, of course they cost money, but the return on the investment is so much greater than the mm. cost. That's good. That's good. That's where I am with with my business. I'm like, okay, I got to start thinking about these things, but it's all a journey, right? You know, you take a little step, make a little bit of advancement, take a risk, see if it works, those kinds of things. Journey before destination. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So let me throw out one more question as we kind of start to wrap this up. How how does your mindset need to change when you are a business owner versus when you're working for someone else? I know that's a really, really huge question, but I'm going to throw that's it out there. It's a big anyway. question. Well, I think a great question to ask yourself is, would you hire yourself again? Um, I remember a shift I made that really helped me in the beginning when I was working full-time was, am I being a good employee for this company? Mm, Am I managing my time right? Am I working on the right things? When should I stop working on things? And I found, uh, you know, to be honest with you, when, whenever I got a new job, I, I usually came with it with a little bit of excitement to figure out the norm. And I'm... I'm a guy who likes shortcuts. I'm a guy who doesn't 
try to outbeat everyone in terms of when I have a boss. Hmm. And so I would find the norm. I'd find the average so that I could just perform to that average and not have to give any more effort. Okay. Which doesn't sound like an entrepreneur at all, you know? Um, and it became a habit for me in school for my day job. You know, I found the average and I, I performed to the average. Um, and in business, you know, I found a lot of creative juices and drives and fun and passion. But for me, I also found that I didn't hold myself to a very high standard. Um, I didn't say to myself, I'm going to perform and I'm going to do well, and I'm going to exceed expectations for my clients. And that, that for me, that was a pretty hard shift to make. Hmm. Um, but by seeing the impact on my clients, I was able to see raving testimonies and referrals and people saying like amazing things about me and, and whatever I was starting. And I can see it now in our team as well. Um, in fact, a part of our conversations and our monthly reviews are things like trying to disarm um, performance anxiety in people because they feel like they're so valued that they don't want to disappoint me, hmm. which is a weird place to be. Like I never imagined that I would have this problem, but by making that shift in the beginning, it set the standard for everyone else. You know, good isn't good enough kind of mentality. We want to do our best. We want to perform high. And unfortunately, it's created the consequence, you know, people feeling like, oh, no, you know, we only got this many sales this month. Oh, the world is crashing down. Like, everything's fine. Guys, chill out. Everything's good. You know, we have to we have to allow ourselves to fail in order to figure out how we can improve. Hmm. So not meeting the goal is OK. Let's figure out how to, you know, improve. And that empowers people to come up with those creative solutions. So I would say. That is a great way, I hope, to answer your first question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we may have gotten off the rails there, but I don't know. It's all good. It's all good. Just riffing. It's all good. It's, it does seem to me like the, the main thing that I think I would take away from this conversation, which to me is kind of the big idea of what it means to start your own business in the first place. And it really is the mindset of, you don't just accept the world as it is, but you realize that the world is malleable, that the world is changeable, and the world will move and it will adjust for you if you're willing to put forth the effort, go in, go in the direction that you want to go, you know, do all the things that we've been talking about. The world will adjust and make room for you, and the opportunities will come your way, but you have to, you have to decide that you want this. And mm. I feel like the vast, vast majority of people they're just kind of content with um, this is kind of how life is. This is what my job is. This is what my situation is. I'm just going to kind of passively accept whatever life happens to throw at me. Whereas people who want to start their own business, that is a function of realizing everything that you see around you in the world has been built by somebody. You know, every road that you drive on, every building that you're in, uh, every town that exists was created and founded by somebody. 
And you have the exact same power to build something, to create something, to make something from nothing. And we just look, we look around at the world and we, we kind of assume things have always been this way, but they haven't always been this way. Somebody built everything that we see and that they were no smarter or more talented than you are probably, but we all have that power. And I think that's, but that's a major, major mindset shift. Hmm. I think I've been thinking about that a lot. There's probably a book idea in there somewhere, but I just have been kind of obsessed with this idea of realizing that you, you can change the world around you. And you can build something from scratch if you really want to. You don't have to just accept your life as it is. Responsibility, I think, is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sadly not talked about a lot. And I, I, I think a part of it is culture. Right? The, the phrase, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that has gone away in large part. It has, and it's it's sad. It's really, really, it's really sad and disappointing. Yeah, we all need to take responsibility for our lives. And once you take responsibility, then you can accept that idea, right? Yep. And yep. and that's where the magic can happen. If you just take responsibility, if you realize, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I often look to storytelling for these kinds of things to see how people shift into that. Yeah. In movies and television, often people like the circumstances are thrown on the person, right? The villain is the one, uh, the agent of change in a story. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas the superhero, like they just want to maintain peace. They just want to maintain status quo. They don't really want to change things. It's the villain that does. That's a good insight. I've this is what I've struggled with because I'm trying to write you know a non or a fiction novel and I'm str- I'm struggling with these big picture ideas and how they actually work in a story <laughs> because we 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 kind of like we praise peace we praise lack of change and that means that the responsibility of that goes on to someone else not ourselves yep. Um, you see it in our political discussions on both sides of the aisle. You see it in religious discussions. You see it in communities. And I think it would be amazing to see a culture shift for us to move away from um, overabundance, I suppose. Not abundance, but excessive just excessive behavior and just Mm -hmm. taking responsibility and boy families would change communities would change the nation would change for the better but maybe it's just one person at a time and maybe it's only the entrepreneurs that'll do that i don't know (laughs) i i think it is you know and that man that is so true is especially with the pandemic you know the government has had a, a i mean obviously i i'm so grateful for scientists and people in the medical field who have created vaccines for us. I mean, holy mm. cow, talk about the heroes of society, you know. Yeah. But but we can't just rely on other people to make change or the government to make change. We have to accept that responsibility. To me that's kind of what entrepreneurship is all about. It's it's you're stepping away from a life where you're like the passive hero in act 1 of the story where you're like, I'm just kind of going to live my life. Then, you know, 
then change comes or the villain comes after us or we have this moment of transformation and it's like, oh, now I'm actually responsible and I, I don't reject yeah. that mantle of responsibility. I embrace it. I accept it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to willingly step up to that challenge and not just create a better life for my family. I want to actively create a better world for my clients, for my customers, for my community, whatever that is. Yeah. So I hope everybody listening has paid attention to your journey because you've definitely <laughs> done this and are a great example for us to follow. So I, I appreciate that. Well, thanks for letting me share. I enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. Sorry to take up so much of your time. This went like twice as long as I anticipated, but that's what happens when you have awesome guests. <laughs> really well, is. hopefully you can use a part of it or something. I'm going to use the whole thing because the whole thing is great. <laughs> it's it's going to go up. I'm going to, I'm going to put it up there just like it is. It's awesome. Thanks, I Alex. This has it. been a blast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex. Wasn't that fun? I learned a ton from this conversation and I'm sure that you did as well. If I had to boil down this conversation to one simple thing, it would be this. We must take ownership of our lives. We can't just sit back and accept the world as it is. If you want something different from your life, if you want to start a business or you want to build something or you want to grow something, then you've got to take the initiative and do it. It's not just going to happen. We can't just sit back and be passive with our lives. We've got to go for it. We've got to make it happen. We've got to simply take action. And I know that this podcast is obviously for writers and as creative types, so oftentimes we sit back and and we don't take the action that we need to take. We have tons of ideas. We may be brilliant in our field. We may be really creative. But the problem is that creative types oftentimes are not also action-oriented entrepreneurs. And that's part of what I want this podcast to do for you is to motivate you to take action and to make things happen instead of just kind of passively watching life pass you by. Because you might be an awesome writer, but unless you're willing to do the work required to make your dreams come true, you're going to be constantly frustrated. So that's why I invited Alex into this conversation because he's a great leader. He started a really wonderful company that is helping tons of people. So there's a lot that we can learn from him. So given all this, what do you want to see happen with your career and with your writing, with your business and your life? If you want something different than what you're currently getting, you're going to have to take action. So I hope this conversation really inspired you just like it did me. I want to encourage you to check out Alex's social media links, which will be in the show notes, as well as his book, which was written for pharmacists, but there's a lot that you can learn from it about career and uh, leadership as well. And again, the title of that book is Indispensable, The Prescription for a Fulfilling Pharmacy Career. And I want to mention that because I think it's important for us to cross-pollinate our creativity with ideas from different industries. You may not be in the pharmacy industry. You may have not ever thought about that in terms of what it's like to work in that field or what it's like to have a career in that field. But I guarantee you're going to learn some cool things from that book. So make sure and check it out as well as Alex's social media links as well. And also a huge thanks to Alex for taking the time out to be a guest on this show. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I want to take a moment to let you know about our daily writer membership community. You know, one of the very best ways to develop better habits and impact more people's lives with your writing is to spend time around other successful writers. So if you're tired of feeling isolated and chasing success on your own, then I know you're going to love the daily writer community. For years, I searched for the kind of writing community that I would want to join, but I could never find what I wanted. So I created my own. Some of the features include weekly writing sprints, monthly community calls, book discussions, 
calls with guest experts, and much more. For more info, you can visit dailywriterlife.com community. Thanks, and I'll see you tomorrow.